Acoustic Alternatives. Normally at Grove Studios in Ypsilanti, the place that has been the host of most of the podcasts I've done and the people who actually encouraged me to do the podcast in the first place. I want to give a shout out to them because uh, without them, there is no reason for me to continue doing this sort of thing. Uh, if you're looking for a place to practice and get out of your garage and get into a studio, it's an excellent opportunity to uh, take advantage of studio space in Ypsilanti. So if you're a musician or a DJ looking to, uh, to do those things, check out Grove Studios. But meanwhile, we are in the home of Bob Murvac in Southfield, Michigan. And Bob is my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives with a very special guest, Olivia Deer, who's going to join us for uh, mostly Small singing, world. I think. Which I is know. how we met. This is how we met. Yes, yeah, so Bob, I, I met you as a, as a sideman for Olivia many years ago. There's always a starting point for people's relationship with music, and mine was you as a sideman. However, there's this fascinating side of you where you perform your music, you perform podcast themes you do <laughs> songwriting yeah, I can't for, make up my mind really yeah so we'll get into a lot of that we'll talk about your, your backstory but before people go huh what's this all about i think a song is in order all right let's do it a song what would you like right to in do? right in this is um a song called today it's uh, a song i did off a very personal ep make back in 2011 or so um and in fact, it's it's. I almost listen back sometimes, and it's so personal. It's almost cringeworthy at times. I didn't think it was that dark, and then I listen back, and I'm like, God damn. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those songs, I don't. Uh, I, I don't even know if I always if they resonate with me anymore. They did at one point, but I tend to, as as is the case with a lot of my recording projects, I tend to like sort of salvage one or two songs off a collection of things, and that I still um, resurrect and current performances and this is one of those there may be two or three off that off that album that i do and this is one um and it's called today and yeah thanks olivia dear for being here she um she's a very busy woman of mm -hmm. international mystery yeah. and uh and she was just in toronto and just in seattle i think i saw some i, I don't know where she is until i see her posts on instagram <laughs> yeah. but she left a um but she left a cozy home in Royal Oak with a super hot boyfriend who, like, I wouldn't want to leave behind to come do this spur of the moment. All right, here we go. Stop resisting and refusing 
Murvac on Acoustic Alternatives today, tonight. It's obviously yeah, nice. Tonight. People can see the uh, the darkness in your home studio here. Thank you again mm -hmm. for opening up your home to me. And uh, I'm I know, delighted. I know Olivia's been here before. Thanks for joining the Follically Challenged Men Club with hey, your full set of hair. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> cool to get more varied mileage in this room, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I welcome all, all new projects. And the Yamaha piano would never have fit in the Grove Studio podcast mm -mm. studio. So we're glad to <laughs> have the opportunity to do it here. What I like to do these uh, in these interviews, Bob, is dig a little deeper than just <coughs> what's going on today, which would include pianos being abused by microphones. Yeah, I keep forgetting to talk into this mic. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's okay. So where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Southfield or just somewhere nearby? I grew up in Royal Oak. I, okay. was, um, I was born in Framingham, Mass. I hope this is picking me up. I'm an engineer and guest, so I'm being neurotic about the sound here. Um, I was born in Framingham, Mass., uh, just outside of Boston when I was a little kid. My dad went to BU and finished up some studies there, although he's got roots on Detroit's east side. And then they moved back here when I was really little, and I grew up in Royal Oak. So I have very few memories of Boston, if any. But, um, yeah, I, I was a, a life Royal Oaker, Detroit fringe, and uh, went to private Catholic school, and that probably informed a lot of my um, you know, emotional issues and values and etc so yeah how many um, siblings do you have i am one of six one of six so yeah where do you fit in the equation because i'm the lowest on the totem pole so i always feel like you know my opinion doesn't matter uh, yeah are, we, are you the baby? <laughs> the baby that's right you're the baby of three four of oh, four okay no i'm the third of six. Oh. so your opinion actually counts sometimes <laughs> i think now that i'm older they I, th I think they pay attention a little bit more, yep. but, okay. um, but no, it was, I was kind of lost in the mix when I was, um, I'm kind of the youngest of the, I'm kind of the youngest of the older three, like the baby, the older three, but the oldest of the lower four, because they were all spread out. And so it was, um, 
So it was kind of like two different eras of families. In fact, like like the youngest and the oldest barely know each other, sort of thing. So I was kind. Of, it was. It's weird. I was. I was the youngest of my two. I, I suffered the plight of the baby, um, you know, with my two older brothers who were, God bless them, you know, they were. Uh, they were cool. They were fun. They were kind of assholes at times, and I suffered that. And I and then I was uh, and I was kind of the same, kind of cool and kind of fun, and probably an asshole to my older to my younger siblings sometimes. But um, no, I think, yeah, I think I started getting a voice in my family later on in adulthood, kind of interested in what I had to say. But but I did yearn for attention when I was little, which probably has informed part of what I do as a performer. And, so me yeah. being the youngest, I. I absorbed the musical tastes of all my siblings. My mom and dad were really into music as well. Mm-hmm. Where does music fit into your family's history? Were you like the most musical of your family? I would say so. I don't know. On a pro level, for sure. Well, now. I mean, um, as, a, as, a, as a child, even. Who was the most interested in music in your house? Who got you into it? Everybody comes in through different doors. So it's hard to know. I, I envy a lot of other people's perspectives on music and the way they come through come into it some people come in through more of like an emotional door um and some people come in through like a real cerebral door and understand the theory and the structure and are fascinated by that almost in a scientific way and like i think i have i think i have a little bit of a foot in both those worlds but um each one of us came to it through a different door and i can kind of see like like my oldest brother just gets it and it and it's almost infuriating because because i studied this stuff for a long time and and feel like I have a certain aptitude because of the years I put into it. And, and he took some piano lessons with me just kind of casually for a while. And it, and it blew my mind how it just, he could just see it. It was like the matrix, mm. like the, of, of musical theory, but he's completely on that side of the spectrum. And I, I don't think he really comes at it through an emotional, um, door at all. Whereas my youngest sister has, is completely on the other end of that spectrum, like the emotional side of it. And she, I've, I've heard her say things like she cries sometimes because she can never hear all the music, you know, that's out there. Like, you know, that's a very, it's a very deep thought to have, you know, I don't think I've ever lamented the fact that I'm never going to hear all the music. And, um, so she's real heavy in that regard. Um, I think that's a really good question. Um, Certainly, I think I'm the most developed as a musician. My brother Dan is probably neck and neck with me there, but he's a classical guitarist, so he's way more on the um, studied side, the prepared side, less improvisational skills and stuff like that. And he's a pro. That's what he does. He teaches, and um, he teaches at a university in Kalamazoo and does private lessons and stuff like that. Um, But we all play or sing to some degree. Um, But I... I think probably what gave me a leg up on everybody else was um, some ob- some degree of obsessiveness with it, um, which got me to a certain level of understanding and skill. And um, and I think I kind of had a I think I kind of had a foot in all those doors, you know, that, like that I described. Um, you know, the emotional, the intuitive, the intellectual side of it. Um, so I guess maybe I was kind of the most well-rounded and therefore suited to accommodate varying musical um, idioms and environments and stuff like that, which is what I end up doing um, now. I think had my sister Ellen gone into 
pro music or something like that. She'd be more like an Olivia who does, who writes these songs from an emotional place and does it, does one thing so well. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've always been envious, envious of. I, you know, I kind of feel like a jack of all trades, master of none sometimes. And, and Olivia and I have gone like, you know, have gone back and forth about it. She's like, Oh, but you can do this jazz gig and you can do this, a classical gig and you can do this. And I'm like, yeah, but you pay a mortgage just with your own songs, (laughs) like with your own original songs. And that's it. And that blows my mind. Um, so, so yeah, I think my varied, um, approaches to music have sort of given me an advantage over my siblings and also informed what I do because I'm kind of all over the map. Right. So when you were a kid, how did you spend your free time when you weren't like getting ready for school? Were you playing music? Were you playing sports? Were you Yeah, it was music, music most of the time. Yeah. I'm I'm not not athletic much. I get by, but um so yeah, do I remember was, there was a theater background in you as well? You have some theater like you did in high yeah, school. Yeah, I did. Um yeah, yeah I, I did that. I think that's my brothers did it, and that's kind of all that was available in terms of music. It was like, I didn't do band so much, and there wasn't a place for piano in band or, or, or anything like that. And so it was choral. It was, so it was like the choral music that I got into mm-hmm. more. It was like, and if you were into choral music, you kind of naturally did the musical theater. Yeah. And I think I, um, I think I loved it then. I, I don't as much now, the musical th- I, I mean, you know, if it's good, it's good. Sure. I don't. I don't gravitate to, toward musical theater as much as, you know, maybe those few years when I was in high school. I think high school is kind of a time to do that. You know, it's very emotional and very oh, yeah. dramatic. And oh, for sure. Musical theater is also very much that. So did you pick the piano because it's the hardest to carry to a gig or was there another reason? Um, it was just in the house. We had one. My mom grew up. My dad bought my mom a piano for, um, I think, for, as a wedding gift or something like that. <laughs> and she took lessons for a while, never really got super far with it um but it was there and um i remember hitting i would do this um i would sit at the piano as early as i can remember and i just hit this one key and i'd listen to the decay and that blew my mind like it was just i i'd see how long i could listen like can i still hear it as it like decays and decays and fades and i was like is it still there and I think a lot of people theorize that it's always that once you put, once you disturb these sound waves, that they're always there in some capacity. But that's neither here nor there. But I loved that sound, <laughs> that timbre, and the way, um, yeah, and the way it it like it ne- it never gets boring because it's you know a wind instrument or like an organ. You know, you hit once and it's. Or, or something that has a constant tone that, d- that doesn't really have a decay unless intentionally. Um, th- it's it, like this holds my interest more because it's always going somewhere. It's always like on its way to somewhere, you know, and um, and that and that I think I think it was that that just I was sold with mm. like and then and then the idea that you could um, that this it was all it's linear and it's all out in front of you as opposed to guitar where you're working on these shapes and it's more of a mystery, which I also like too, but it made all sorts of sense to me and I could, I could see the harmony and I could hear how those notes sounded together and took on different shapes and colors as you played them. So, so that was it for me. Um, I've always had you know, a lot of envy for other instruments. I have super guitar envy because hmm. um, I think it's just such a beautiful instrument 
and I um, and it totally gets all the chicks, you know. Was there ever another path for you? Was there ever a, I wanted to be a fireman or anything like that that you can recall? Not specifically fireman, but you know what I mean. <laughs> little things, little things. When I was little, you know, I wanted to work with animals, wanted to be a vet. You know, yeah. like I think every kid wants to be a vet at some point just because they want sure. pet dogs and stuff. And um, But when you get to more of a decision-making adult phase of your I life. I don't think so. I think um, I didn't always know I wanted to do this, uh, you know, professionally or not in a not in a mature sort of way. I think I wanted to be a rock star when I was little or some sort of star, you know, the attention seeking part of me, which is very strong. Um, but but once I uh, I think it was at some point in high school that I decided I'd study it after college. And um, I didn't know what that would look like, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And there was yeah, there was no looking back. Was there ever a drum idea? Because I, I learned from Ben Fold's book that he was a drummer first and then a piano, and yeah, they're both was, percussive instruments. Yeah, was he? Well, piano is yeah, piano is a percussive instrument. I do, um, yeah, I doink around on other instruments. You wouldn't want to hire me to play them, <laughs> um, but I do love drums. I love the coordination that is inherent in all drummers. That seems to be at a different level than everybody else. I, I, have, I sometimes wonder if drummers just get super impatient with all other <laughs> instrumentalists who don't have nearly as good time or coordination as them, yeah. just because it's not required to get by on those instruments. But, um, but yeah, I always like, I love the percussive element of piano, of the piano, and I, um, I love piano players that play percussively. Um, I've always gravitated toward Harry Connick, who plays, he plays it like, you know, like I studied jazz and and one very common um, iteration of, uh, of a jazz group is a piano trio, piano, bass and drums. And I find a lot of pianos are often floating and sort of like just letting the, the bass player and the drummer really hold that groove. And, um, and they're just kind of floating above it. But people like Harry Connick are equally contributing to that groove um, and should be, I think, or, or at least at times should be making use of the fact that this is a percussive instrument. It's a drum, and you can do that. And I love, I love the way he does that. Um, who else? Jamie plays? Cullum, I've seen him do the, you know, slap. For sure. Um, but uh, so yeah, or or any like, or even jazz piano. Like I, I go, I tend to um, steer myself in the direction of like earlier pianists, like Oscar Peterson, um, uh, Art Tatum, and yeah, sure. I love I love all that stuff too. But guys who really played stride, you know that kind of thing, um, because it had that strong pulse, mm -hmm. and you were completely self sufficient, you know, without the rhythm section and stuff. And people who are capable of creating a groove on their own without the assistance of a drummer or a bass player, I'm I'm really into. So. Um, I, the piano has that potential for rhythm as much as any other instrument. So, like, why not? Was Wayne State your school for? It was. Yeah. Okay. So, was there a time when you were going to school that you started performing publicly during school, or did you start performing publicly after you graduated school? Publicly uh, meaning you're getting paid to get. Uh, it was when play. I was. Well, I. I mean, when I was in high school, I was doing like church services and stuff like that. Right. So I was getting paid, you know, for funerals and weddings and and different in fact i remember i got i think my first one i played at this church in oak park it was a few services and it was like two it was like a saturday service and two sunday services and i didn't know i was going to get paid my my um <laughs> my choral 
director in high school said, hey, will you go help them out? And I went and played, and I was delighted just to be able to play, you know, that somebody wanted me. And and, they, and he handed me a check at uh, that Sunday after the last, and he was like, hey, I'm sorry, I can't be more. And I, I remember I opened it up, and uh, it was $75. It was 25 a mass. And it was the greatest day of my life, man. I was like, this is this is it. Like um, I had done that for free. Know, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. And I was like, I'm going to be rich. Um, still haven't gotten there yet. But... Um, but yeah, so I did a lot of that. Um, I, I would say maybe second year in college, I started playing jazz gigs because um, I felt I came from a completely classical background. I was always fascinated by jazz and, and knew I wanted to do it. But man, when I got to Wayne State, what a shit show of embarrassment and humiliation that was because um, either these people were really good or had at least some sort of background in improvising on their instruments. And I had no idea how to do this. I just knew I wanted to, but I was starting like back at the beginning, yeah. basically. And so it took a good year or two before I felt like I could go into a bar and play a jazz standard and, you know, without, you know, with some level of comfort. So, Well, at some point, as I mentioned earlier, I meet you as a sideman, but you also have, you've played it originally, you've got three CDs that I know of because... They're in my hands. I don't know if there's more beyond this, but songwriting is obviously something you do as well, not just cover other people's tunes. Yeah. Well, one of those is a jazz record that's yes. like all covers. covers yeah. Um, and um, and then another one is an EP of covers. Yes, yeah. true. But and so and so the other the only one you have there that's original stuff is that, and that's um yeah that's that's old. I write. I do love writing songs. Um, I write at a as far as like my own output that is just exclusively for my own creative satisfaction and and um, you know stuff that I want to write for me and release I write at an absolutely glacial pace um, I go I mean you know the last time I released something like that was 2011 mm, that's and what it, I have in my notes <laughs> yeah and it feels recent almost but I'm like oh my god it's 11 10 11 years ago and you know and I'm, we're kind of on the verge of releasing some new stuff and I'm like okay am I going to do this every 10 years is that's that's when I'm going to you know, release stuff. So, um, so I wish I was a little more prolific in that area, but yeah, I do write and I do consider it to be when I'm most creative when I'm doing that stuff. But certain things professionally come up that always that, you know, my creative pursuits take a backseat to because I'm not sure. getting paid for them. So how about another song that you've written? Then? Yeah, let's do it. What would you like to do? And tell me a little story about it. If there is one, I'll do, I'll do a solo one here. I'll give Olivia a break. This is the this is the very first song I wrote. Um, it was uh, I would have been back in the college days. I think I just decided I, I had studied jazz for a couple of years. I was maybe nineteen ish, twenty. I was like, I want to try writing some songs. Like, you know, I was listening to a lot of Randy Newman at the song at the time. It's kind of getting this probably in that neighborhood. Um, I sat down with my friend Tim, who's a bass player who I worked with. He's off in Nashville these days. Um, he's a studio guy out there. But he was, um, he was just so practical and matter-of-fact about things. And I said, hey, man, I think, uh, I think I want to start writing some songs. And he brought over a, a, a pad of paper and a pen. He goes, here, get to work. <laughs> and uh, I started writing lyrics. And it was about this girl that I was heartbroken about at the time who had broken up with me a year or two prior to that. Mm. And, um, Been there, done that. Yeah, for sure. As you know, that's that is not original uh, inspiration, um, and it's called "I Hope You're Doing Well," and, um, and it's funny because years later, after not having talked 
to that girl. She there there was there was this kind of drama that happened way later on um, with her dating a friend in in close proximity, and it was bizarre and. Um, and, it, and it's just kind of funny looking back on it. But but I still play the song. I almost didn't want to play the song, but my father-in-law um, uh, retitled it, I Hope You Go to Hell, uh, as I was playing. So I hope you're doing well. But um, anyway, inter- interesting anecdote on this. Uh, but this is the song.
know my smiles hurt for so long But I think I'm coming round To something real I took a deep breath and thought of you And cried until I drowned And now this is how I feel I hope you're doing well I hope you're doing well Hope you're doing well yeah. I love you Bob Murvac on Acoustic Alternatives, the song that, if you like, track down the album that has the pumpkin on the front of it, appropriate for October, and it's called Hope You're Doing Well, just like it today, the one you played earlier, also on this 10-year-old, 12-year-old, 11-year-old, no, <laughs> yeah, 11-year-old CD. Uh, and I got to say, even though that's my favorite song on the record, it hasn't oh. struck me until you're playing it less than a body's length away from me, that that could have been a John Mayer song. Maybe John Mayer should cover that. Oh, funny. It feels like maybe, is it Dreaming with a Broken Heart that that sounds like? Gone, 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 gone. A little bit of that. I have to say, I, I don't think I had heard, so if I was 19 or 20, I don't think I had heard John Mayer yet. That was like right around the time he was coming onto the scene, or maybe even a couple of years before. I don't know. So, I was, style. I mean, I was huge, I was pretty hugely influenced by him, I would say. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I I wrote Daughters before he wrote it. Did you? Actually, no, I didn't really. But I do remember writing this song just before Daughters came out, and then I was like, "What the fuck?" And it was like exactly the same. And it was uh, so I don't know. I definitely think uh, I was um, tapping into his wavelength at some point in my life. I mean, I was he was he was huge for me in the early two thousands and stuff. And, I know Olivia's a big fan, and I, I do want to ask Olivia a question while she's here, since she's one of my favorite people. How did you discover Bob Murvac? Since you've been the one who introduced him to me i mean where, where was your point of i gotta play with this guy that's really i totally forgot that you guys met to you when we went did that just that show that mm -hmm. i was really sick at, at in his studio I mean, so, olivia has told our origin story before too yeah um well i'm super rich so mm -hmm. i was at this really mm -hmm. nice um fish and steakhouse with my mom no i'm not super rich but we were treating ourselves at this beautiful restaurant in troy Ocean Prime, and Bob was playing the piano, so I just walked up, and I had some business cards made at the time, and I was like, hey, my name's Olivia. I think I gave you my CD, too. Okay. I think yeah. I, had, I had my EP, my Wait, first EP. Because I recorded an EP with uh, with Brian, with, yeah, I went with, with Matt and with Brian. That I don't recall. When I, maybe not. Maybe I sent them to you online. But I, I, either way, I gave you my contact was like, here, check out my music. I'd love to play with you sometime. I just thought he was really great. Dude, and she was like th 13 I still 13 have the email that you sent me back. Actually. Oh, no way. Yeah, I do. What, did I, like, what did I say? I don't know. But <laughs> she was like, really nice. she, came, she was like, hey, man. She was like, hey, man. Like, it was like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was like insanely confident. It was and just rude. like, it, it, no, it didn't feel like, because there's sometimes there are those like eight year olds who talk to you, who talk like a grown up to you. And it kind of seems contrived and almost sort of like disrespectful or something like that. But like, no, this felt like very much like we were just hanging a little bit and even at, you know, 13. So, well, it's just like, but, you know, you meet a lot of like artists at restaurants or like you hear a lot of artists at restaurants 
or just in a place where you don't usually expect live music and it's sometimes it sounds the same like sometimes um, people get so used to being a coat rack yeah. at, at a gig that they just sort of go on autopilot but every so often you hear an artist in a, in a place and they're like making minimum what they should way less than they should be to play a couple hours of covers sure. and you're like holy crap like who is this person making this sound and i just remember being like young and being like I just, I just loved it, so I had to go up to you. I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you came up. Because I mean, all the experiences. We, I mean, Olivia is one of my. I mean, working with Olivia is one of the great joys of my life and mm-hmm. work. And um, and uh, it's one of the great pains of your work. It is, <laughs> um, but you know, there's joy and pain. And um, no, but but her in in going out on the road with her and Brian and James has been. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I I always, I, like, exercise, you know, working out and practicing are, like, the two essentials that I've learned throughout my life are, um, you know, central to my mental wellness and stuff. You know, if I'm not doing those things, it's just not happening. And um, professionally speaking, if I'm not playing gigs with Olivia, like, at least at a, at a certain frequency, I... It's, I get sad. It is oh, weird. It's, like, it's weird that we see each other, like, even if it's a cover gig lately, it's been, like, a lot of, you know, events and, like, local places and things like that. Not the touring and the more glamorous things that we used to do that were fun. And thanks, still, like, Yeah, right. But it's, like, it's like you'd rather play any place with, with this guy next to me. So it, it is weird that that... I'm like, why are we so bummed out making music lately? Like, we lo- we still love it, but why are we so bummed out? And then we run into each other, and we're like, yeah, this is it. Yeah, I always feel better after an There's Olivia a direct gig. correlation there. When you were telling me the story, for some reason, the lyric came to my head. They put bread in my jar and said, man, what are you doing here? Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Like, really, what are you doing here? Yeah. yeah, I have gotten a few of those. And I do always try to, I think on, on all, like, to Olivia's point, um, I never try to phone it in on a gig because the, because the person who will be the most miserable is me if I'm phoning it in. Yeah. You know, not only the listener, but um, there have been, you know, I've, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. There have been nights when I'm not as feeling as motivated to do it. But um, but man, if I if I like am feeling tired or or whatever, or the audience isn't into it and I start to phone it in, I just become exponentially less happy than if I really muscle through and try to, because if I'm, when I'm on a gig like that, I'm playing music for me first and foremost. And if, if I'm not, then, you know, what am I doing there? And so that, so no matter what the externals are, that opportunity is always there for me to do the, for me to do my favorite thing on the planet, or at least ride my favorite vehicle in which I attempt to connect to the cosmos and, you know, love my fellow human. But, um, so yeah, I have, I've always felt no matter where I'm playing, it's an opportunity to play music. And um, regardless of the venues I've played, like, mm-hmm. you know, Olivia and I have played some amazing venues together. I've done some awesome venues on the Armchair Expert Tour and throughout the years. But you never know. Music doesn't necessarily happen there. You know, like that, that magical moment, you never know when it's going to happen. Half the time, you know, I think some of my best musical memories are usually, you know, in conjunction with some bar I was playing at yeah. late at night and you know, where, wherever that like real deep magic happens. So 
anyway, so I always try to be open to that. Well, you said it's been a decade since your last release of originals. How much time are you making to write original music for yourself? I know you've got kids in the house and you're married and you, you know, you have things to do that aren't writing songs, but do you make time to write songs? Or just- um, I'm trying more these days. Um, I think I make a little more now than I do, which is ironic because I do have the kids and I'm busier with other things than ever. Um, but I, I think I've learned a little more about how important it is to me to make that time. So I do, um, you know, that ebbs and flows too. Sometimes I do a thing where I get up at five or five thirty in the morning because it's the only time that I can do it before sure. the kids are awake. Um, and this doesn't wake them. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Cause we're in this room that is sort of like off the house and it mm-hmm. doesn't, that's the reason the piano used to be in the living room. We moved in in here just cause my daughter was born. And I couldn't, the only time I could play was when she was asleep, but I couldn't play because she was asleep. Yeah. So, um, but I make a little more time now, um, sometimes a lot. Um, so it's, it's moving a little faster and, um, yet there's still a lot of like, I mean, if you look in my voice memos, there's like 500 unfinished songs and there's that thing too, you know, where it's like. I'll write something in the car and it never finishes. I'm about as good at songwriting as completing songs as I am completing books that I'm reading. You know, like I have like, I've read like 400,000 half books and stuff, you know, and like, so, um, but, which is interesting because like, because, because, because you'd almost think that I'm like a short, I'm born to be a short form writer with, um, you know, all the partial songs that I've written, which I don't think is uncommon with a lot of songwriters. Um, but, because some of the armchair themes, they're these 20 second. I'm like, oh, that's perfect for me because I never finished anything. So let's write these little snippets. And we well, are actually you're ahead of me because the next question yeah, is. No, I didn't, didn't want to. Well, no, you're, you're leading me right to the next question, which was about some of the things that you do that aren't performing sideman writing your own songs. It's all these other little things that you do in the background that people aren't going to probably notice. Um, so like you, you mentioned the armchair expert, mm-hmm. right? Most, most people, probably more people have noticed that these days than most of the other things I do actually. But. Well, that's, that's a lucky vehicle for you to have. Yeah, for sure. Dak Shepard also had you score the soundtrack for the hit and run movie, which uh-huh. something that would have, might not have happened if your friend from high school hadn't married him, I imagine. Right, <laughs> right, right. It I mean, was, um, I, yeah, I wrote, in fact, Kristen had started dating Dax and I wrote her a song for her mom recruited a bunch of people to um, do special things, surprise things for her one month prior to her 30th birthday. And I was like, oh, I was, I was day, day 17 or something like that. So I wrote this song called, I wrote this song for her called 13 days left of 29 (laughs) and, uh, and sent it over to her. And, um, and she really loved it, and and Dax really liked it, and Dax contacted me the next day, and like, and we just kind of became buddies and sort of like um, uh, symbiotic musical friends since. Like we, he, he's turned me on to a lot of stuff, and we tend to like similar things, and and then he hired me on a bunch of stuff, and it's been wonderful. So, so his podcast travels, and you play with him, or you also write the theme that plays if he's just doing. It I wrong. write the theme. Uh, I wrote the original theme, um, which is to armchair expert proper, um, which probably aired for, I don't know, I don't know how long, maybe eight months or a year before he decided to branch off and do additional podcasts. And so, and now we sort of call it the armchair umbrella under which right now there are probably 10 or 12 shows that he's done. And I've written the themes for all those. And, you know, they're like 20 second themes. And then travel music in between. So we do like a, a, an extended jam on this theme. Um, 
so it's not like scoring throughout like you would hear in a um this american life or a radio lab or something like this just because a lot of times there's like uh intricate sound design and scoring throughout the program so I'm, i'm not doing any of that right now although i would like to um but just the themes um and so so yeah we've written about 10 or 12 of those and um I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> but uh, it, it was does it only involve touring? But yes, you're writing songs for the podcast. Yeah, so they use at yeah. his house, like the one you were a part of. Right. They use those for the show, and um, and then when we go out on the road, and I don't join in for all the shows, but usually it's it's more regional based. Like if it's if it's in the Midwest, although we did just do a West Coast tour about six months ago. Um, I guess it just depends on what they have going on. Sometimes they have other featured artists and stuff. And um, I will open up with a five or 10 minute set of maybe an original or two. And then um, and then we'll do the theme as Dax walks out. And mm-hmm. it's a ton of fun because um, I, it's definitely the closest I've ever been to like, you know, I, I wasn't a rock star growing up. And, um, and I don't think like, you know, some of those dreams have like smoothened out and given way to a lot of joy that I experience in what I do as a non-rock star. But, um, but it definitely satisfies some of those childhood dreams when I go out there on that stage, because these people are just like so into it mm-hmm. and they're super nerds for Dax's show. And the first one I played, they knew who I was. It was bizarre. I had no idea. We played a show out in LA at, um, Largo. Have you been to Largo? I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, that would be your jam. I you don't would... live in LA, but yes, yeah. there's, there's been some good stuff <laughs> out there. For sure. Somebody um, take me with you next time you go. Yeah. And I always, I was kind of dreamed of playing at that venue and that's where we did our first show. And I didn't expect any of, you know, what happened, but I went out there and I was just playing a little bit just prior to the show. We were like, Hey Bob. And it was just How do you wild. Know my name? And, <laughs> and then, Oh man. And when we started playing the theme, you know, hinting at the theme, just the roof went off the place and it was like, whoever knew for a podcast, you know? Yeah. But I strongly encourage those who are listening or watching my podcast to check out the one that Bob was on with Dax. Cause it gets pretty in depth uh, with your, your old relationship with his wife, Kristen Bell. And he asks you some pretty yeah. awkward questions, which I'm sure. not going to ask any of those questions because <laughs> okay. Dax covered them pretty well. So if you want to find out about Bob, Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard's weird relationship and friendship. It's really, it's a, it's a very fun listen. So oh, good. I'm going to encourage you to listen to the Dax. Yeah. He's very good at that. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty private and he's like, pulled it right out of the, you. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. At the risk of sounding cliche, he may, he makes you feel very safe. He's yeah. really got a gift with that sort of thing. So I try to do it as well. And I'm not asking you to tell me You're that doing I do. Great. I just, that's, that's what I do. I, you told me about something, an experience that you had, and I tried to find it even, especially after watching that podcast but when you played the tonight show with Kristen when she was doing have yourself a merry little christmas oh yeah yeah they have removed that from the internet and i can no longer see it i I screen recorded it so i do have it somewhere the full version but yeah there's like no digital residue of that moment the the link goes to a this is no longer the internet message or something right yeah right yeah it's it's like completely scrubbed off i think i think there's just so much yeah content out there that they like this is going to get messy if we keep all this so on to the next thing. You know? Now, now was that the performance that you and I talked about where David Foster contacted you? Yes. So David Foster is somebody that when I grew up was like a god, like producing Chicago oh, god, albums, yeah. all these things that were like this perfect pop music. Soundtrack to my childhood. So, yeah, and even his soundtrack work, like the St. Almost Fire stuff. Uh-huh. And this got, that, so, that, like, I really admire David Foster. And then he 
tweets you? Is this what, what happened? Yeah, What's he, the story? well, he just contacted me on Instagram and it was, um, oh God. And I, yeah, I love, I mean, all the stuff like karate, this and Gloria Love, Karate yeah. Kid 2. That was a huge one for me when I was little. And and he does, and he's got such a sound, you just know it's David Foster. Um, and, and the stuff he did with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yep. After um, Love Is Gone, he wrote yeah. that. Yeah. Um, yes, I love David Foster. And it was, uh, yeah, it was completely random. I just did that appearance on The Tonight Show with Kristen. And all I did was play. Like, I just played Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and accompanied her. And, um, and he messaged me. I got a message from him on Instagram that night. I was like, Hey Bob, great job on Kimmel tonight. You know, I, I caught, or I caught your performance on Kimmel. Great job. You're a great player. And, and, and I was, and it was just like, had to double check. I'm like, is that the verified account? You know, like, <laughs> is that really David Foster? And, uh, yeah. And I messaged him back and I've, I, um, you, you know, I mean like, like I tend to be, uh, like pretty reserved with celebrities and not like show all my cards and, you know, play it cool for lack of a better term. But, um, Oh, I completely wore my heart on my sleeve. I was like, fuck it, man. He's David Foster. So thank you, David fucking Foster. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, what, like, this is insane. I told him, you know, I was a huge fan and his music was the soundtrack to my childhood and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't expect him to get back to me after that. And then, you know, and then he said, um, Oh, wow, thank you, you know, you sound great, and I'm happy to have had, if I had a small part in that, that's wonderful. And he said, so what are you up to? And, you know, we chatted back and forth for a while, and it was bizarre. He had no, um, there's no reason that, you know, he needs to message anyone. <laughs> no, and, really. and so I felt very complimented by that. That's a it cool was story. Pretty surreal, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, well, let's take another musical break and mm-hmm. have you do a song. Yeah. Another one that features Olivia. Yes. So this is... Um, uh, so we're releasing those um, the short versions of the theme songs for Armchair Expert have gotten a lot of attention on social media and stuff and um, and I've been contacted you know many times like where can we stream this where can we find the live version and try as you will there are no uh, long versions out there they don't exist they're short format twenty second theme songs at most um, so. Um, but I, but I love these songs so much and I don't think that I would do them. I don't think I would approach a project like this only for, um, you know, professional purposes. You know, it's like, as in there's the armchair as a um, podcast is a great platform, you know, like Dax is very successful and, um, it's got, you know, global attention and that's great. And, um, Basically, I, I wouldn't want to um, just, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I wouldn't just want to be like an entrepreneur. And uh, except that I have such, um, I love these songs so much. Like, I don't think I'd spend so much time on this project if I didn't love them so much. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I've enjoyed writing these songs so much, and, and, and they're nothing, the only thing Dax has ever considered with, or is ever concerned with, is. Do I, like does he like them? Do I does it sound good? Does it make me feel good? Whereas if I do some ad work or something, it's like it, oftentimes the first thing I hear back when I do an ad song is, "Hey, we really like it, but it doesn't really resonate with this demographic demographic of people who need to be sold Swiss Army knives or whatever." And like, um, 
I'm like, oh God, how tragic. Like we like it, but the challenge for most musicians and creators of music is to create something that they like and that other people like, and that feels good. And if, if you've, if you've achieved that, then what else is there? Um, but with Dax, it's always like, that's all it is. Do we like it? Does it feel good? And, um, and that's always the challenge. I'm not focused on anything else. And so when I do get done with these, I've really worked hard on them. I've really put a lot of thought and um, feeling into them. I've really tried to like empathize with the characters that um, he wants to sort of illustrate in these podcasts. And, um, and I love them. So... Um, so nothing has, you know, few things bring me more joy than uh, elongating these and creating full versions. And that's what we've been doing with the last couple that we've written. Um, and we're on route to releasing, hopefully, you know, in the next year or so, like a full length of full length, uh, songs that are, that derive, that are derived from these podcast themes. So this one, um, was a show, uh, there's a, a show called Monica and Jess Loves Boys. And uh, Monica is the co-host of Armchair Expert. And Jess is uh, one of Monica and Dax's oldest and best friends. And they both love boys. And they did a limited series podcast on just delving into that issue, talking about boys and relationships and um, dating and everything. It goes real deep, it's a great show. Um, and this was the theme and uh, we did a long version of this that hopefully we're going to release in the next couple months, except that um, Brian Riley and I are agonizing over the verses and <laughs> obsessing. And um, I think, honestly, we've had this thing recorded for like a year and haven't released it yet. So, um, Does it have a title? It does. It's called Monica and Just Love Boys. Oh, well, what do you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Super creative title. Um, and since I don't have these songs scream for a bass player and drummer and since I don't have a drummer I'm going to try to um, kind of redo this on this loop station here so let's see if I can do that successfully and remember these lyrics successfully good luck we're counting all right here we go The cellular siren, ooh, that makes her curious. Music stops her, it fuels her, it rules her, it moves her. Monica don't like, uh, Monica don't like boys, 
Alternatives. I'm John Bomarito with Bob Mervag, special guest Olivia Deer in the home of Bob. Instead of in Grove Studios today, because this Yamaha piano, the, the loop pedal, all this stuff, I don't know where we would have put it in there, but uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. so glad we're doing it here. I'm so glad that you're giving me some time to chat oh, with you. Delighted. And learning more about your, your, your history and your career. And uh, there's still a few more things to, to explore because we're talking a bit about like musical styles and boxes and mm -hmm. you don't really have a box there's no bob murva you've you've trained working as, on it well you're trained as a jazz guy but you do rock and you do pop and you do you know scoring and things like that so like w 
you've got a covers EP that has Springsteen and Depeche Mode, which like that doesn't really define you either. So yeah, when you're huge, are you a big Depeche Mode fan? Huge, you like two, two of my yeah, top ten albums right, of all right, time. Right, yeah. Mode, yeah, yeah, I'm ner- oh, that's, The Depeche Mode song is spelled wrong on the I know EP. That. Did you know? <laughs> of course, I knew that. Yeah, that was a big conversation. I left it, and it's you know kind of like a fun misprint on a stamp. Hopefully, it'll be worth something someday. But, yeah. Um, anyway, but you're. Like if you had to like your elevator pitch, like if you had to tell somebody, what do you do? I know it's a hard question because there there's no. Hard. There, I'm a songwriter. I'm a I, I'm a musician. Like which? I think it's funny because this thing that I'm working on, um, I it's like, yeah, that's a source of a lot of thought and concern and self critique over the years. That like what is my sound and that, and that's and that's comes into the conversation i mentioned that i have with olivia a lot it's like you do these songs and and this is what you do and you're never anybody but olivia and no, um it's, everything sounds like you i feel like i you need to stop you because like I, like I, if you if you played me five songs i could tell you if all of them were written by you or if none of them were oh, written oh that's by good you. to know not even your covers of anything like just you writing a song when you do hear things too you have like this elevated sense of like every time i've talked to you about a songwriter um you know we were talking about i think you and i were talking we were talking about this one songwriter and and i said yeah i love what he does i feel like he just and olivia was like needs to dig a little deeper i was like yeah exactly and like and you're always right there like you know exactly you have a very heightened sense of of um songwritership um so i'm glad to hear that from you that there's that you hear like so a, a, a common it's something ridiculous. yeah it's so distinct but i do think that so i struggle with that but um i think i used to try to you know like have this intention out into the universe to sort of like focus on one area and hone in on it and 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 that would be my sound i would get there but I, i'm I think I'm realizing that the more I keep doing the varied things that I do, that starts to filter in to a sound. So it's, I'm kind of taking the opposite approach now. And as I do this, these armchair themes and this record, um, it, it incorporates a lot of the things that I get into. It incorporates a lot of like funk and R&B and like whatever, blue-eyed white boy soul and... Um, and, and gets into more some more tender songwriting too, and 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 a lot of um, '80s pop, which I was hugely obsessed with. Um, I, I wish I had all the recordings in front of me, but there's this one. There's actually one of the podcast songs we wrote ended up having this um, sort of Dylan-y vibe on it. It was like, uh-huh. a, "Honey, you're my best friend, and I think that." We've got this. That's the direction it went in. But the original one I wrote for that was this. Um, it had a super new wave sound. I used this old analog drum machine on it. And it was like, you know, it was like, honey, you're my best friend. And it was very much that. Um, so anyway, that's that's 80s pop is definitely at the core of my, you know, of what I'm um romanced and seduced by you know (laughs) as a listener um but as i do this it really is starting to almost sort of um congeal and coagulate into um a sound i I think and i'm very excited about that um 
because all I did was I, I just did everything I I just did everything I know instead of trying to focus it into one sound and trying to like worry about what the you know what voice was going to rise to the top you know, like what unique Bob only Bob thumbprint was going to come to the top. I just did everything that I do, and then that sort of started to come out on its own. And I, I don't know, I'm not done with the record yet, but I'm feeling like it's getting there. And it's something, I don't know, it's not, um, it's not R&B, and it's not funk, and it's not 80s pop at all, but it does sound like something. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, so, so that's a partial answer to your question. It was a catchy like, song. What is it? And it... That I that I'm um, I wanted to. Say, did you ever get into Swing Out, Sister? Do you yeah, have that? Yeah, I have the box set, uh, box set of the entire collection I, sitting I, on my desk right now. Is as I was playing that, like as I've been playing it the last couple of weeks, I feel like that that start started coming out a little bit. That was one of those mm, particular '80s bullet points that it reminded me a little bit of. So you got to find a way Say what you want to say Work out Breakout You remember that one, right? Breakout, yeah Breakout, breakout, workout once less Workout is something <laughs> you do in your spare time Well, actually the song that you just played I, I need I you here to correct all my no, you're uh, good. <laughs> bad references The second song reminded me of a John Mayer thing That one, that could have been a Justin Timberlake song Or could be Oh, cool Maybe you should start writing songs for other people <laughs> Yeah, it could be Because I, mean, I, I, I would hope that you'd get attention for doing them yourselves but I think I did yourself. get the Justin Timberlake vibe out of that one too. It kind of reminded me of the, the whatever the one he does on the Trolls soundtrack that sure. was a big hit a um, year ago or I've whatever. Got this, um, you got the, uh, you know. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. Can't stop this feeling. I got this feeling yeah. inside that's, my bones. That could have been whatever. Oh, we're not allowed to. I don't think we're allowed to play only uh, bits. Those if you do too of, far, oh, then right, we get cool. then we get in trouble. Just referencing. <laughs> so you and I went to see a concert just a little over a week ago. We saw Diana Krall, yeah. which was amazing. The band was awesome. She was awesome. Kareem and, Riggins on drums. Oh, my God. Jeez, oh, he, he was great. Um, but I realized that she essentially has a career of playing other people's songs. As most jazz artists do. Yeah. And, I mean, there's no reason that you're I mean, you're not as pretty as she is. And you're uh -huh. not married to Elvis sure. Costello. But sure. I think there's no reason that you couldn't be at the same level. And I, I don't really. I, I've been in the music industry since 1985. And I never quite understand why some people can do that well and, and succeed and other people can write great songs but still not sell as many records as she has i i don't know if you have a grip on that either i i think in the in the jazz world there are there are tons of singers but there are not a lot of instrumentalists who also sing um i think she's uh she's a rare breed and um i think she's a very good piano player um, I don't think she's the level of like a Brad Meldow or, you know, I, I mean, I'm not trying to disparage her in any way, but Eric Connick, your favorite. Right. Um, but, but I've noticed that like, since there are so few, um, like piano player singers in the jazz world, you know, there are Michael Bublé's who like rise to stardom and stuff, but, um, but there are very few like people who play piano well and sing well. You don't need to be, your piano playing doesn't have to be at the level of a Brad Meldow if you sing well. You can almost do like, yeah. you can almost get there with like 70% of each, <laughs> you know? And um, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that's Diana Krall. I think she's a, a, an well, amazing musician oh, on both, um, could stand alone on both. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, in the jazz world, um, there are very few of those. And, and I think a lot of them do, uh, you know, achieve a relative degree of success because of that, because it's so rare. Um, you have a lot of great horn players, 
a lot of great drummers, a lot of great bass players, a lot of great piano players, not a lot of great um, people uh, people who play like jazz on a, on an instrument at a certain level and sing at a certain level. Um, I think they're starting to happen. I see them out on Instagram. I see a lot of these like multi-instrumentalist singers who are pretty amazing. But um, I think, you know, maybe I could have gotten there if I focused on standards alone. And I think that's one of the places where Diana Krall, one of the things she did right yeah. is that that's what she did. Um, to my knowledge, she didn't do a whole lot of anything else. She she made records of... Um, very fam- of familiar jazz standards and um and, and, some, and, sang and some not like tom waits and things like that she squeezes that's true that in. Yeah. yeah she does them in a very jazz standard right. sort of way right. so um, when you do a show and it's not doing them in a standard way, like both of both you and olivia have reinterpreted songs and put your own stamp on it and i've always been fascinated by people who can like you're enjoying the silence for instance mm-hmm. is really nothing like the original and it's mm-hmm. in the way that we've heard it so as a musician trying to reinterpret somebody else's song, I just can't get my head around hearing it a different way. And you guys always come up with these really creative arrangements. How, how do you do that? I mean, is there an answer to that question? I have no idea. But. I think I don't. I think I'm usually, I'm usually inspired by the song itself. Because um, a lot of times I'm inspired by, I, I like something because of the way it was recorded, the way it was performed, and the song. Um, most of the things that I did on that EP were because I heard this song underneath all the production. Sometimes I think the production gets in the way mm-hmm. of the song almost. Um, that it, I did love bites on there. Yeah, it's like super studio produced. You know, kind of very sp- a very specific era in in uh, you know late eighties, early nineties glam rock. Sounds like I'm not laying production because it is right. Yeah. He right, has, exactly. Here's a stamp. It's right, like the David Foster stamp. It sounds like a David Foster. Um, that's right. Mutt Lang did write that song. Um, and but having Def Leppard perform, it also sounded like a Def Leppard song. I thought because Def Leppard performed it. Um, but I kind of thought, but I wanted to take it. I, I just felt like there was a, something else to be said that that you don't always hear when you're listening to their wailing guitars and his like beautiful, pristine tenor voice. Um, and I won't usually do a cover unless I do feel there's you know something additional to add. Um, how do you arrive though? You you just strip away it in your head. You I love take, I love taking the production away from it, and that's what I did with that one. Is just play them on solo piano, and in a lot a lot of these pop songs, even ones that I love, I don't think necessarily could stand on their own without um, being held by the, the often very well done production that's on them. But some of them, I'm like, oh man, I, like that can totally stand on its own, and sometimes I think it almost stands on its own a little better when, when you take it away. Like when I heard um, Diana Krall do, well, I guess most of the things she was covering were, were actually pretty scaled down to begin with. Um, but uh, the Aerosmith song, first I sang it an octave lower. I think there's a reason why people don't ever cover Aerosmith because nobody can fucking sing it. <laughs> because Steven, only Steven Tyler can sing it. Like he's just a freak of nature. But... Um, I think singing it down the octave helped um, bring this more like weary sort of sound to it. There goes my old girlfriend, there's another diamond ring. All those late night promises, guess they don't mean a thing. Um, yeah, it takes it to a different place when you bring yeah. it up, right? Um, I, I don't know, I, I, don't, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, there's a certain mood to a certain type of performance 
and but all of a sudden I hear and and I a lot of times I don't hear it till 20 years later after listening to that song forever I'm like oh there's something else in there and there's a real sadness in there or there's a real you know if you had somebody at the mixing board and and instead of like um you know low mid high they had like happy sad funny and all the emotions <laughs> on the dials like the sadness or the happiness or the something in there is very low and I want to turn that way up and turn the rest of them way down. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of create a version that that really honors that little bit I heard in there. And I'm like, oh, I, like I, I'm just hearing it a little bit. I want to ma- put that under a magnifying glass and really amplify that. And that's kind of what's on there. The only, with, the only exception being the Cars song that I did. I did a different version of it, you know, way different than the original. But I don't feel like I really had anything new to say with that one only because the way they do that the way the cars did that um on the original the who's gonna drive you home tonight is just so fucking perfect and you couldn't do a better job of it mm-hmm. I don't and and that's the only one on there where I was like I'm gonna do it because I love it just keep but, it straight yeah <laughs> right cool well one of the things you told me like in a conversation weeks ago that you got to rework was a Donovan's song. Donovan's oh, yeah, song. Yeah. Can you tell that story? It, yeah. Um, it was... Um, maybe your final story before we play another song here. Kristen and Dax have a, a, a kids, a baby product company. I want to call it a diaper company, but there's so much more. Um, it's called Hello Bello uh, that they created years back, a couple few years back. Um, and they've been growing that company for a long time and it's, you know, all these organic materials and... Um, and uh, it, it kind of came about r- like right after they started having children, which was just before I started, my wife and I started having children. So we started using their products and I felt, you know, I was at that point in my life where that company was on my radar, not only because my friends owned it, but because it was very practical to me and my purposes. Um, they did a, uh, during the pandemic, they did a camp, this camp, Hello Bello, and I was contacted by the agency, a guy named Ben Hart, who runs the agency that handles um, all the uh, promotion for Hello Bello. And they were doing this uh, virtual camp for kids. Hello Bello was, you know, they were telling stories stories, and reading books and having sing-alongs and stuff like that. And he had me write the theme for this virtual camp that Hello Bello was doing. Um, and we kept in touch. That went real well. And I did a couple other things, you know, that they did for like pandemic outreach to kids. Um, and then they decided to do, I think, maybe their first or second national commercial. Uh, and he asked me to do the music for that. It was Kristen's idea to use Mellow Yellow, which rhymes with Hello Bello. But sure instead, does. we're going to um, use the words Hello Bello. Um, in the chorus, you know, the call me hello, bello. And so they got the rights to that song and had some conversations with uh, Donovan. And I rewrote all the verses um, to reflect uh, parenting struggles, be it about changing diapers or cleaning up spills or whatever. And and just in this, um, they just wanted to promote this idea that we're a community that supports each other and, you know, we got this. We, you know, we're all in this together. Um, and, uh, and so I wrote a lot of lyrics to suit that, probably about 19 verses um, of different things, and they were sent to Donovan to approve, and 
he approved them. And I think he was a fan of the company because he's a very, um, he's kind of an environmentalist at heart and he sure. likes that they're using these biodegradable, sustainable materials. Um, but they got, so I got to work on this and they sent me the original masters um, uh, stems from the original uh, Donovan recording, wow. which was awesome to listen to. Um, and I got to like really get inside there and do surgery and find out exactly what they were what they were doing in there, um, and uh, and we came up with a new version of it. And they did this long. I think they did a sixty second spot, a ninety second spot, and a thirty second spot. So we did had we had quite a bit of material. And it was and we just kind of created. We built on the original and made this big orchestral version. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'm still pining to talk to Donovan now though because I have so many questions after like getting in bed with that song for like three months, you know. But now he know you, knows you exist. There's something that didn't... I, on some level, yeah, he must because he was reading through my lyrics and yes. approved them and that yes. was and that's that's a cool, cool story. So, yeah, for sure. All right, so you got, a, you got a record you're planning for next year. Yes. You're doing occasional original shows. If we get lucky, this, this podcast gets produced and put out before the Trinity House show, which is coming up a few days from the day we're recording this. Correct. If we're lucky, people will see it beforehand. Yeah. Uh, but we as we were prepping and getting the studio ready, you were showing me a little video that I'm not sure is available for public consumption yet. No, it will be. will be, though. And that's the song we're going to close with. Tell me a little bit about this one before uh, we... This one was written... Um, Dax's wife, Kristen, and Monica, the co-host to Armchair Expert, did a uh, podcast about womanhood, feminism, um, supporting the um, women, basically, talking about um, womanhood and um, all that that implies. And they asked me as, uh, to write the theme song. I, I was not anticipating being asked to write this one because I just thought we should probably get a a woman to yeah. to write and perform so i was deeply honored by that my wife was um a women's studies minor in college and sort of opened my eyes to um feminism and the feminist movement and um turned me on to some books a bell hooks book i read and um really got me online with that i think that um i think the seed was always there in me uh, and not that i was <laughs> necessarily uh, a um, you know, a misogynist or womanizer or anything like that, but I didn't pay particular attention in the way that I wish I would have um, been brought up to. Uh, and um, so I think the seed was always there, but but she, my wife sort of, uh, you know, fertilized that seed in me. Huh, that's kind of a reverse, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and she has two kids to show for that. For yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so, so I was, I don't know. So I, I nerded out on a lot of feminist, um, writings and stuff like that when she was in college and, um, and was so excited that they asked me to do this because, but, but I also felt like a huge responsibility because, um, I'm not a woman. I haven't lived, I, 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 I can only attempt to empathize with the things that women deal with on a day in day out basis and um i can read about them and attempt to empathize with them but i cannot truly walk in the shoes of a woman so i was very honored to be able to even attempt um to come up with something for this show uh they did however want a woman to sing on it with me and um that ended up being the great sarah borellis 
which I can't um, believe, which is pretty yeah. awesome. And here she is, John. No, I'm just no. kidding. Um, uh, I've hugged her before. So this, oh, this very cool. Oh, yeah, I think you mentioned that. Where was that? that uh, you... Borders. We, the station I used to work for, we did two different events for her first album, and we did two different events. That's too cool. So is that I, when she came with that? Yep. I got um, to actually do one of those two interviews. So she Oh, you did get to interview her, too? Yeah, I did. She okay. couldn't remember me, but yeah. Oh, too Absolutely. cool, man. Um, Kristen is friends with her. And um, asked Sarah to be a part of it. And Sarah was amazing and sent me these, um, you know, made time to do this in her busy, in her, in her busy schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent her the track. I sent her some lyrics, tried to like put it right in her lap, make it easy for her so she didn't have to spend any time, you know, like, um, you know, figuring it out. And, um, and she sent me back like, you know, an hour later, she sent me back. I just wanted her to take a crack at singing a lead. And she sent me like, an embarrassment of <laughs> of riches um <laughs> and she sent me like nine vocal tracks or something and it, it, like you know sort of like arranged background vocals and and wow. th- like multi-tracked all this stuff it was amazing what she sent back and it was like we didn't have to tune a thing i mean her pitch was a, her oh, pitch was right. like almost that of an olivia oh, dear yeah. uh-huh. and um yeah, and we mix it all together, and Take and it the was compliment. Yeah. <laughs> We're pleased, very pleased to have Olivia Dear here singing the Sarah Bareilles. Song. Yeah. what's the song called? And it's called uh, it's called "We Are Supported By," which was the name of the show. Um, it was originally went by another name, uh, but there was a conflict with another podcast of the same name, and so it eventually um, became "We Are Supported By." And it was amazing. We had so many people contribute to this, including. Um, the uh, the choir, the Academy of Arts, the Tr- Detroit Academy of Arts and Sciences Choir, hmm. um, a, a bunch of young girls who sang on this, and it was so fun to work with them. And one of them rapped the rap that so cool. is in this, and that I'm going to have to do myself because she's not here, sadly. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, and it was cool. We were in the studio, and I had Kristen FaceTime them, and they were all excited to see Kristen, and she thanked them for recording on this. But it was, uh, to throw a cliche out, a very much a labor of love, very sincerely. Um, and here it is, another one that I need a bass player and drummer for, but we're going to make do with what we have. Gonna get inside, gonna turn it up, gonna break it We're gonna feel it all, ain't gonna let you fall, we're gonna make it We're gonna raise our hand, gonna raise our voice, gonna break it We're gonna lift us up, gonna sing out loud, gonna stand up tall Hop on in, come on and get it where you're going to Different than it used to. You've been hearing it all for such a long time. But I'm gonna make it feel like it's the first time. Yeah. We're gonna get inside, gonna turn it up, gonna break it. We're gonna feel it all, ain't gonna let you fall, gonna make it. Gonna raise our hand, gonna raise our voice, gonna break it. 
We're gonna lift us up, gonna sing out loud, gonna stand up tall. Oh, oh, oh. Don't play it safe, come on, I need the good stuff, yeah. I've been watching you, and you've got more than enough. Ain't gonna push, we ain't gonna shove. Just gonna remind you it's you with whom you're in love We're gonna get inside, gonna turn it up, gonna break it We're gonna feel it all, ain't gonna let you fall, gonna make it We're gonna raise our hand, gonna raise our voice, gonna break it we're gonna lift us up, gonna sing out loud, gonna stand up tall, oh, oh, oh. Check it out, we might work from home, or maybe grab a microphone. Might travel the lands alone, find my throne, never be afraid to choose to be alone. Look around, gotta find your zone, feel it in your ribosome. No apology of mine's a blown the throne, but I'll never be defined by a chromosome. Malala, Simone, Bell Hooks, Emma Watson, Obama, and Oprah, Mary Wallstone, Gloria, Jermaine, gotta find a Jane, Naomi. Me and Betty Frieden, yo, say the name. We're gonna get inside, gonna turn it up, gonna break it. We're gonna feel it all, ain't gonna let you fall, gonna make it. We're gonna raise our hand, gonna raise our voice, gonna break it We're gonna lift us up, gonna sing out loud, gonna stand up tall oh, oh, oh. That is really a great song yeah. <laughs> Thank you He's really good that's gonna, be, uh, <laughs> that's gonna be something when people hear that, I can't oh, wait for it oh, Bob, Thanks, thanks so much Bob Mervex, the guest today on Acoustic Alternatives Two quick questions, movie related Favorite song from Frozen Ooh, God, I, I think I I did have one. Um, can it be Frozen 2? Sure. Um, the one that Kristoff sings that sounds like a Chicago song. It's uh, I think it's called Lost in the Woods. <laughs> it, have you heard it? Uh, at least once. Oh, it's, it's, probably kill, <laughs> it's killer, the Only Chicago one. vibe they get on it. It blows my mind. That's hands down my favorite. Right. Why, why? I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> The other one is relating to you being in a movie, which I watched the day after I hung out with you because I hadn't seen it before. Oh, yeah, it's of March, which George Clooney did in Detroit and Ann Arbor, right? Yes, sir. How did you end up in the movie? And uh, in the first five minutes, I believe. I got a call from. Um, I was just practicing one day. I was at there's, I was at this church practicing, and I um, and I got a call, which I, I didn't recognize the number, so I don't even know why I picked it up because you know who picks up numbers they don't recognize. What a psycho! You. Um, yeah. <laughs> Me apparently, call me. Um, I uh, it was a guy who I had never met, and he was. He said, uh, "Hey, will you go? Will you go audition for? Can you audition for a George Clooney movie?" And it just sounded bunk. I didn't know who this guy was. I think he was trying to. Ultimately, I think he was trying to make some dough off it. He said, "Like, um, if you get, like, if you get the part." I, he, I think he pretended he was an agent. It was really sketchy. Mm -hmm. um, so I was already, it was already suspect, but I was like, screw it. 
I'm not doing anything that Saturday. I'll go audition for this George Clooney movie. What I don't even know. I didn't know if I was going to show up and it was I was going to get kidnapped or something yeah. like that. Um, but I showed up to this um, to some office building in <laughs> Warren or something like that, and um, and I said, you know, I'm here to audition. I saw a handful of piano players I knew actually. I said, why not go in there and do it? And I played a couple jazz standards, and they videotaped it, and um, and they called me like a week later. And I, she she actually I did I didn't pick up this call, and she left me a message. She said, hey Bob, it's so and so. And I remember because I was I was I was just so excited to get the call because it was really surreal. And I was about to go meet my wife inside Red Coat Burger for mm. dinner. You eat Red, Red Coat Burger? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and she left me a message. She said, hey, Bob, it's um, the name of this agent, whatever. She said, I'm wondering if you want to be in a George Clooney movie. And uh, and by that time, it seemed legit and real. Because <laughs> other I, people had auditioned. Yeah, <laughs> and I went in and got my burger and told my wife, I was like, hey, so I'm going to be in a George Clooney movie? And um, <laughs> and yeah, in a few weeks, they called me. And, and, and every, mo- every moment of that experience was pretty surreal because... Um, uh, one of the producers called me and said, hey, we're wondering if you want to come down for a rehearsal with George and the boys. That's what he said with George and the boys, meaning George and Ryan Gosling and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Marissa Tomei and nice. all these yeah. heavy hitters. And yeah, it was, whatever. And it was, uh, it was wild. And they, yeah, and he filmed, he picked out three standards, I think, to do. His aunt was the famed Rosemary, Rosemary Clooney, Clooney, so he yeah. grew up. He told me he was her driver. I guess he used to drive her to gigs <laughs> when he was a kid. And so he, you know, grew up in that jazz scene and knows all these tunes. And he picked three tunes and we shot them, you know, four or five times and hung on set for a couple of days. And it was where was amazing. that? Where was that bar scene? Uh, that was at Cliff Bell's. OK. In Detroit. Was so it looked like it probably they, was. they renamed it something else in the movie. Uh, it was not Cliff yeah, Bell's. No, but, that's um, some fictional bar. Yeah. Cool and, story. Uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a there's a video that Ryan Ryan Gosling taped one of the. Um, the videos on his iPhone or hmm. one of my takes and and he goes by and you see um, George Clooney behind the monitor while I'm singing and then you see Marissa Tomei and then you see Phil Seymour Hoffman and uh, and then he focuses on me and it was like it was 2011 so I wasn't really I wasn't on Instagram I don't even know if Instagram existed then I was on Twitter but wasn't really savvy I mean it wasn't really happening mm-hmm. then but he posted it he posted that video on Vimeo, I remember, and I saw it. Oh, I wow. thought it was so cool. And and um, and then he took it down like three months later. I literally have like, I've agonized over like finding that video. I'm like, it's like, oh, I need that. Like, I need, I need yeah. this weird video where I'm hanging out with these people I'll never <laughs> hang out with again for my own uh, selfish social media purposes. But try as I have, I've not been able to track it down. So, Bob, that's a great story. And thanks for all the stories and the time. And Olivia, dear, thank you for contributing vocals i have to say one of my favorite podcasts i've done since i've started was the one i had with her i just felt like we had a really good conversation and i felt like i did a nice job of painting the full picture of what olivia is and today i tried to do the same with bob to see just what an incredible career you've had even though you may not be a household name I mean, even in the Detroit scene, you don't really do a lot of gigs as Bob Mervat. I sleep better. You don't anymore. really even have a website per se. You have <laughs> That's si- sort of. A, yeah, he's I mean, king like of you're, you're don't like let it fool you're you. under all the radars, but you've had some great things, and I felt that all that needed to be highlighted. So thanks yeah. for letting me yeah. spend some time with you. Um, there's more ahead. questions, but we got to stop. Thanks, I'm not man. even sure there's any battery left on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> thanks to Grove Studios for at least hosting my videos and uh, normally hosting me in their studios in Ypsilanti and. Uh, 
hopefully you can join me for the next two, which are scheduled to be maybe a third one in there, but Chuck Brodsky is planning on joining Ooh, me for a, a, a Chucky. And Glenn Phillips, who you might know from Toad the Wet Sprocket, wow. is a guest in the November uh, month, too. So some great podcasts coming up, but uh, what a pleasure to be here in your home, Bob. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, Dan.